right, well, good morning, everybody. Good morning. good morning, Kate. One week away from Easter, and so I just want to, yeah, we're going to celebrate. Um, it's a celebration of the resurrection of Jesus, as you know, and I just want to s- jump onto that announcement that we were making. Uh, there are cards in the cup holders in the seat next to you, or there, there should be if we didn't run out after first service, but I'm going to encourage you, take those. These are just a tool to invite somebody to church because how many of you know on Easter people who never go to church uh, will just go to church they just were like okay it's what you're supposed to do and you get them in the door and they experience the power and the presence of God and it's an opportunity for them to be transformed the way that you and I have been transformed by this Savior Jesus that we're going to celebrate so I want to encourage you take the card invite somebody invite someone to lunch today invite your grandma and your aunt and Everybody you know, because 87% of people say they would go to church with someone if they were invited personally by them. And so I'm going to encourage you, you're the best uh, witnessing tool out there, and that's you. So go invite people. We're going to celebrate next week. And then, uh, as you know by now, I think most of you know by now, is that our North Campus lease is coming to an end. We are unable to stay in this house And so we've been telling you that this is one of the houses that our family meets in. We have another house that our family meets in over at the South Campus. And while we're looking for a new house here for our North Campus, we are going to be meeting with our South Campus and adding services while we look for another location for North. And so be praying with us about that, but that's going to happen right after Easter. So next Sunday, we'll be here at 9.30 and 11.15, and then the following Sunday on April 24th, we will be at our South Campus at 9, 10.30, and 12, and uh, we're going to do three services there for now, and if we need more, we'll add more, but we're believing before that point, we are going to have another house for us to meet in here, and so uh, keep praying for that, keep believing that, we're trusting God. Uh, So celebrate next week, and then we're going to go celebrate with our family for extended stay vacation at our South Campus for a little bit, okay? Just a little bit longer. Um, Okay, today, as you know, though, uh, is Palm Sunday, and uh, Palm Sunday begins Holy Week. It's the first uh, Sunday that leads up to the resurrection of Jesus, and it would be this day, if you have kids in kids' church today, they're going to be getting palm branches because that's you know, it represents what happened on the triumphal entry when Jesus was riding the donkey into Jerusalem and everybody was celebrating and they were laying down their clothes and their palm branches and saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It was this triumphal entry where everybody was excited about Jesus. It was a high point. And then a few days later, what we would call Good Friday, everybody was then cheering for him to be crucified And it became maybe one of the lowest points, uh, you could say, because the same people that were cheering would be the same people that were yelling, no, kill him now. And I think that's actually similar to how our life can be sometimes. We can have these high point moments and then just a short time later, we can be in a dark day or a dark season. And that's actually what we're studying in this series. We've been in a series now that's going to take us all the way through Easter next week that is called How to Live Through a Bad Day, where we've been examining the seven statements that Jesus made on the cross and what we would consider one of the most painful, most difficult days that he would have gone through. Uh, You know, we call it Good Friday on this side of the cross, but I promise you in that day, the disciples didn't think it was good. His mother didn't think it was good and the people closest to him did not think it was good. It was a very difficult day. And so we're studying these statements. This series is based on a book by Jack Hayford called How to Live Through a Bad Day. 
And to do that, we've been looking to Jesus. Hebrews 12, 1 and 2 tells us to run this race with endurance, the race that is set before us. This life is a race that we're not competing against each other, but it is a race that we're trying to win the prize of, of Jesus. And it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And so that's what we're doing. We are looking to Jesus and what he said on the cross in his most difficult day so that we can learn how to get through our most difficult days. And so I would just encourage you, as I've said every week, if you've missed any of these, I believe they are all helpful to you. Jesus, everything he said on the cross was important. And we want to learn as much as we can from them. But we've learned how to forgive everyone that we feel is trying to ruin our life. We've learned how to help others who are going through the same struggle that we're going through. We learned how to take care of those closest to us. Often the people closest to you are the ones who suffer the most when you're going through something difficult or in pain. We talked about aiming our hard questions at God and not at man because he can handle them. He has, he has the answers. And then last week we talked about being human enough to acknowledge your need being human enough to realize that if Jesus had a need and said, I am thirsty, then we also have to admit that we have needs and we need some help. And so today we're going to continue right into the sixth statement, which is also found in the book of John. Last week it was John 19, 28 and 29, and we're going to go right into John nineteen thirty, And it says, when Jesus had tasted it, talking about the sour wine after he said he was thirsty that they gave him, it says that he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It is finished. It's a, it's a powerful phrase. And this phrase contains both a prophecy and a verdict all in one. It was a prophecy of what was coming, a prophecy of what had been foretold. And it was a verdict that death, hell, and the grave would soon be defeated for us. It didn't need to be defeated for Jesus. It was being defeated for us. And in that statement that even though victory was not yet visible... It was already accomplished in that moment. Jesus would still make one more phrase. A lot of people think that that was the last thing he said, but we're going to look next week at the last thing that he actually said. But it is finished for you and I should remind us that maybe we're not through it, but it is already through. That you may be in a difficult situation, but it has already been accomplished through Jesus. And that's what this phrase today teaches us is that we can be assured that there is a purpose and an end to the struggles and the pain that we're going through. You can be assured that there is a purpose and an end to what you are going through. And I don't know about you, but that is some good news today. Amen. I was thinking about a man who went through a very, very difficult day or situation in the Bible. In the Old Testament, there was a guy that you could say outside of Jesus and maybe Paul had one of the most difficult days that was accounted for in scripture. It was more than a day, but a lot happened in a day. And that was the man Job. How many of you ever heard of Job, right? Uh, a couple years ago, maybe it was a year ago, my middle daughter, Emma, she was coming out of her time with the Lord and she came out and she was just looked distraught. She was like, dad, I just read Job. He's like, it's depressing. That is such a sad book. And I was like, do you mean Job? And she was like, no, dad, it's Job. And I was like, babe, it's Job. She's like, J-O-B, it's Job. It's like, I get it. I get it. It's Job. Yeah, well, actually, dad, I know how to spell. Uh, but it's Job. And she was so depressed. I was like, yeah, a lot happened. If you've never read the book of Job, Job was a godly, righteous man. 
And he was very blessed by God. He had a lot of things. He was very wealthy. And, and the scripture actually says, if you read the book of Job, which can be challenging, but it's powerful to read, that right at the beginning there of the book of Job, that Satan was roaming the earth and he came to God. And Satan was like, you know what? Job only serves you because of how much you've blessed him. He only loves you because you've been so good to him. And and God was like, oh, yeah? And he said, okay, well, fine. You can, you can do some things to Job, and we'll see, but you can't take his life. You can do a lot of things to him, but don't take his life. And if you were to read the story, Job would lose a lot of things in a single day. Uh, it's almost like, well, it's not almost. It was like he was losing the, his, his cattle, and he was losing his, uh, all of his animals, and that while somebody is telling him that all your animals died or fire came out of heaven and burned them up, another messenger shows up and is like, hey, I just came to tell you that a great wind blew your house down and all your kids were inside and they're all dead. And while he was still talking, it says that another servant came. This happened like three or four times. Like bad, while I'm getting bad news, another messenger of bad news is coming. And I don't know if you've ever felt like you've been in a situation like that, but Job was going through that incredibly difficult situation where it was like bad thing after bad thing. And in a day, he lost his livestock. He lost his family or his kids. He lost his house. He lost his health. He ended up getting boils. And I was listening to a, a comedian a while back who said, you know, it's fascinating that Satan left his wife. Like he could have taken anything. And he was like, yeah, take his kids, take his livestock. But her, she's a real piece of work. Leave her for him. And... Uh, if you read it, uh, she was. I mean, she tells Job, why don't you just curse God and die, Job? You know, that's the kind of encouragement you want from your wife in the middle of a painful day. <laughs> Satan was like, I need her. Uh, that's beside the point. But after all of this is happening in the book of Job, Job is contemplating with his friends. His, his friends show up and they start contemplating, why is all this happening? What's going on? And they start trying to process why he's losing. They start blaming Job. They start blaming other situations. They start blaming God. And they're going through this conversation. It's really much of the book of Job where him and his friends are going back and forth. And his friends are great friends that they show up with him in his pain, but they're terrible friends in their advice to him. And Job gets to this place in Job chapter 30, verse 20, where he cries out to God. And it says, he says, I cry out to you, O God, but you don't answer. I stand before you, but you don't even look. I don't know if you've ever felt that way when you're going through a difficult day or a painful situation or you've had a loss of some sort where you're like, God, I feel like I'm crying out to you, but I know you're not hearing me. I'm, I'm standing before you, but you don't even see me. I, where are you in the middle of all of this? And then God finally answers Job in, in chapter 38. And he gets a little bit sarcastic with Job because Job has spent all of this time complaining to God and all this time trying to figure out and, and making these bold statements of why these things are happening. And Job's, I mean, Job. <laughs> Thanks, Emma. Uh, and, and Job's making all these statements. I was think I was combining Job and God together there. And God said, D said, no, you said Job. Uh, God says, he gets sarcastic with him. And he's like, Oh, yeah, look who knows so much, Job. Since you're so smart, this is actually what he says if you read it. If you're so smart, if you know so many things, if you've lived so long, since you've experienced so much, and you know the beginning from the end, why don't you tell me, Job, while all these things are happening? Why don't you tell me what's right and wrong? And it's in this moment that Job begins to recognize the error of his thinking and the error of his friend's thinking. 
and he makes some incredibly profound statements here. It's like David in the Psalms, when David would cry out to God and be like, why are you doing this? Why are the enemies attacking me? Why am I not winning? Why am I going through all this suffering? But he would always end with a recognition of who God was. And this is what Job essentially would do. And in this passage, I'm going to read to you, there are three attributes of God that are revealed in this passage that are important for us to remember in difficult days. Let me read to you the passage, and then we'll look at those attributes. The first, Job in 42.1, the first thing he says then is, he says, Job replied to the Lord after God was like, oh yeah, since you know so much. Job says, I know that you can do anything. I know it. I know you're strong. I know you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked me, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? And he's like, it was me. It was I. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about. Apparently, I'm not that smart, God. But things, these are things that are far too wonderful for me. You said, listen, and I will speak, for I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. And then Job says this statement in verse 5. I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes. I'd only heard about you from a distance, but now I've seen you with my own eyes. And there's three powerful attributes of God in that statement that we need to look at today. And the first one is this, is that God is all-powerful. He's all, he has all power in heaven and in earth. That, that term that, that we use is om, omnipotent or omnipotent. Maybe you've heard that before, omnipotent. Our God is omnipotent. It means omnipotent, all-powerful. And you can read several places in Scripture where it talks about the power of God. But Job is recognizing this in this moment when he says, I know that you can do anything. I know nothing is too hard for you. I understand that you are all-powerful. But I found that this is a lot easier to remember in the good seasons of life. I find that, this, this, that God is all-powerful is a lot easier to remember when I'm being blessed and when every every part of my life looks like it's going well. Maybe Job had forgotten that. Things were going so well for Job, sometimes we can forget that God is all powerful. He can do whatever he pleases. David in the Psalms would constantly talk about it. And the psalmist would write in Psalm 147, five, that how great is our Lord. He is, his power is above all else. His power is absolute. I love the way Jeremiah says it in Jeremiah thirty-two seventeen. He said, O sovereign Lord, You made the heavens and the earth by your strong hand and your powerful arm. Nothing is too powerful for you. He made the heavens and the earth. Colossians says that he holds the world together with the power of his word. He is holding creation together with a single word. That's how powerful he is. He's holding your life together with the power of his word. And when we're tempted to forget how powerful God is, we have to remember he's even holding the things we're seeing with our natural eyes together simply with his word. So when it gets challenging and difficult and th- seems thing, th- seems thing, things seem too hard for us, we have to remember that when things are too hard for me, I can take comfort knowing that nothing is too hard for him. You're going to hit situations in your life where it feels like things are too hard for you, and it is. That's when you need to remember that nothing is too hard for our God. Job was coming to this place And then he made that statement where he said, God, I I was talking about things I really didn't know anything about. In other words, I'm an idiot, okay? You're so much smarter than me. You you know things way more than I could ever know. And he's revealing the fact that God is all-knowing. 
that when we're trying to figure things out on our own, we don't know the half of what God knows. That, that phrase is omniscient. He is omniscient. That comes from two words, omniscience, all knowledge. He has all knowledge, right? He, he knows the beginning from the end. And our challenge is, is we want to know it all. We want to know everything in this moment. It was the struggle even from the garden when Adam and Eve ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not only did they want to be like God, they wanted to know everything that God knows. But I promise you, you don't want to to have a God that knows simply only that which you know. Because then you don't need God. If you know everything he knows, then you don't need someone like him because he is more powerful and more knowing than you. If you knew everything, you'd be God. In this newsflash, we're not God, right? But he knows everything. He sees everything. Hebrews 4 tells us that nothing in creation is hidden from him. I love the way that God himself says it in Isaiah 46, 10. He says, only I can tell you the future before it even happens. Everything I plan will come to pass, for I do whatever I wish. He's restating the fact that he's all powerful, but he's also all knowing. He knows the beginning from the end because he's the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and he is the end. He has foreknowledge into the future of what is going to come, which gives me great comfort. Because right now, honestly, I'm going through a lot of things in my life personally that I don't know the answer to. This campus is one of them. I wish I knew what was about to happen. I wish I did but I don't. So it gives me great comfort knowing that God knows the beginning from the end. He knows the next steps before they even happen. So I can take comfort in the fact that I don't have to know it all. I don't have to know the future. I just have to know the one who does. And I promise you in your painful seasons of life and difficult days, you're going to want to know how everything's going to turn out. And all you have to do is lean on the fact that he is an all-knowing God. That he has gone ahead of you and he already knows how this is going to turn out for you. Job had to get to that same place that you and I are in today. is The place of being okay with not knowing the future and recognizing that we don't have all knowledge, but he does. And then Job in his story, if you read that last verse there, he makes another powerful statement about God. He says, I had only heard about you before. In other words, I I had heard about you from a distance, but but now I'm seeing you with my own eyes. God shows up in his presence in his difficult days, and he's speaking to him, and that reminds us that God is all-present. That word is omnipresent. He can be anywhere at any time. He can be with me and with you in two different locations. That's why he can be here in the church in Texas and in the church in China. He is all-present. He is everywhere at once, and that should give us great comfort. Psalm 46.1 says that God is our refuge and our strength. He is an ever-present help in time of trouble. He is always present with you, even in the challenging things that you're going through. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always. In fact, there are so many places in Scripture that you can see that when someone is going through pain or struggle or a difficult day, that God shows up right there in the middle of it with them. I'm reminded of the Hebrew boys in Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You remember when when they would not bow down to the culture, they wouldn't bow down to the pressures of the culture to live ungodly lives and serve these other idols, that they were thrown into the fire. And they actually turned the fire up. They said, let's make it even hotter for these boys. And some of you might feel like your life, the heat in your life is being turned up in this moment. The pressure of things is being turned up. But when they threw those boys in the fire, you know the story. They looked back in and they said, I thought we only threw in three. 
I see four, and the fourth was the Son of God. It was Jesus who was in there with them. He was proving back then that even if you go into a difficult day in a fire, I'm going in with you because I am ever present with you, even in your struggles. It's his promise to us. He is Emmanuel, God with us. This is why he came to this earth, so that he could be close. And knowing these attributes of God helps us get through anything. Knowing these attributes of God, that he is all-knowing, he is all-powerful, he is ever-present, it can give us a different perspective about our situation. It can give us a different perspective about our pain. Paul, in the New Testament, who wrote most of the New Testament, he knew quite a bit about going through difficult situations and pain. And Paul had this knowledge about God, and it gave him a different perspective. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. Paul is Writing to Timothy in verse 11, he says that God chose me to be a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher of the good news. That's why I'm suffering and here in prison. He's, he's saying, look, I'm, I'm in jail. I'm suffering right now. I'm having a bad day, if you will. Things aren't going that great. I know why I'm here, but I'm not ashamed of it. For I know the one in whom I trust. And I am sure that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. How powerful is that? He's saying, yeah, I'm suffering right now, but I know the one whom I trust. And I know, not only do I know him well, because I know him well, I know that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until the day of his return. What did he entrusted to God? His life. He was saying, things may be tough now, but I know that I can trust you with my life. And Paul knew in this moment, and in several places you can read this in scripture, but he knew that he could not let his pain cloud his perspective. He knew that he could not let suffering define his life, and he couldn't let the bad days distract him from the purpose which God put him on this earth to do. So my encouragement for you and for me today is that we don't see life from a perspective of pain, but we see our pain through the perspective of our purpose. If you see life through the perspective of your struggles, your pain, your difficult days, you're going to be overwhelmed. But if you begin to see life through the perspective of purpose and you begin to see your pain through the perspective of purpose, you can get through anything. That's why it says that Jesus, we started with this, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He had a purpose, the joy of a relationship with you and me, the joy of fulfilling what God sent him to this earth to do. He knew it was a part of his purpose so he could endure the pain, right? This is what we need to learn today. So let me give you three things that we can be assured of in our difficult days. Because God is all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present, we can be assured of these three things. The first one is this. It goes right along with what we just talked about. We can be assured that God brings purpose in my pain. He's going to bring purpose in whatever you are going through. And, and what I've found in my life, and I'm sure you found it to be true as well, is that people, people don't inherently just hate pain. They don't like pain without purpose. If pain has a purpose, people will go through something, right? You can see this most easily with people who are training like an athlete or a person who wants to to get in better shape or they're willing to work out. They'll get up earlier and work out. They'll put their body through pain. They'll cut out the things that they'd really like to eat. They'll carve out time and they'll put themselves through some pain with the purpose of getting in better shape. Athletes do this, especially Olympic athletes. They'll get up at three, two or three in the morning and they'll put themselves through incredible pain and training and suffering because of the purpose of winning a gold medal that they're after, right? They're willing to endure the pain because there's purpose on the other side. Let me use an analogy maybe that's not athletic in case that's not you, but childbirth, 
right? Women go through the pain of childbirth because of the purpose and the joy that comes on the other side of it of having a child, right? Our, our worship leader, Danny, who's not here with us today, him and his wife, Mackenzie, just brought a baby into the world this last weekend. And so she was willing to, yeah, she was willing to go through that pain because there's joy on the other side of it, right? We, we could say this about a number of areas. The people that go to school for it seemingly forever, eight to 10 or 12 years to be a doctor, right? They're willing to put up with the fact that they have to put everything else on hold. They, they get up early and study all day and they put themselves to this pain, which I'm so grateful for because I'm not called to be a doctor, but I'm grateful that they are, right? That they put themselves to that for the purpose of becoming a doctor. My point is, is that we, people are willing to go through pain if we know the purpose on the other side. And you can be assured today that there is a purpose for what you're going through. James 1, 2 through 4 tells us this way, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. That doesn't sound exciting. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness and let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. That's the purpose for which we can be joyful when we run into trials or pain or circumstances. Why? Because I know it's working something out in me. I know that I'm the one being developed into completion, that I could lack nothing on the other side. I love the way Pastor Craig Rochelle says it. He says, sometimes God's preparation comes packaged as pain. Sometimes what God is preparing us for requires that we go through something difficult or challenging or a trial or pain because he's preparing us for what is coming next. Oftentimes it's the training ground that we're going through, that God is working things out in us so that he can work things through us for the purpose of what God wants to do. And I was thinking about it just this morning, actually, that as I look back on my life, almost everything that I've gone through that's painful in my life, almost everything I can say, that in the moment I could not tell, but looking back, I could see what was being developed in me. I can't tell while I'm in it, but I can look back at a painful situation and go, man, I know that character was developed in me in that moment. I can look back and realize endurance. I wanted to give up, but I didn't. So now I know that I'm gonna make it. Endurance was being developed in me. Empathy was being developed in me. I can think of times in my life where I've gone through pain and difficult moments that I did not have the empathy I needed for people that was coming in the future. God was developing empathy in me. I can look back and realize that, that there was experience that was gained. And I could say for sure now there were things I would definitely not do the same, but I would have never learned it without going through those difficult, painful moments. And for what purpose? Because God had a purpose for my life. And he was developing me to be ready for that purpose. And ultimately, it's not even my purpose. It's his purpose. That's why Paul could say in Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That whatever you're going through, God can work it all out for the good. He's developing things in you for his purpose as long as you continue to submit your life to his purpose. He's, he's not the author of the pain, but he uses it to develop something great in you. So the first thing we could be assured of is that God brings purpose in my pain. The second one is God has a plan for my life. You, you can be assured that when you can't see the plan, God has a plan for your life. And in our pain, sometimes we don't see the plan. We don't understand the plan, but God has a plan. A famous verse we love to quote, in fact, it's probably on every graduation card ever known to man, but it's Jeremiah 29, 11, And it says, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. And we all love that verse and we want to claim it. Yes, but look at the context first. 
Because when you look at the context of that verse, the children of Israel were under the yoke of Babylon. And a false prophet had just come in and told them, hey, God says to you that you're only going to have to be in this two more years and then you're going to go into the promise. It's going to be great. And then the next chapter, Jeremiah has to come back and be like, no, it's not going to be two years. That was a lie. That was a prophet lie. <laughs> he says, it's going to be 70 years. Wow. I know you thought it was two, but it's actually going to be 70. It's actually going to be a lot longer than you thought. But that's when God said, hey, but I know the plans I have for you. They're good. It may not seem good, but they're good. They're not to harm you. No, it's good plans. I want to give you a future and a hope, but you need to know you may not get out of it right now. And I think for us, it's very important that in the middle of suffering, in the middle of hardship, in the middle of pain that we can take to heart, that God has a purpose in it. And even though we can't see out of it, he has a plan in it. And I know that there's a better future, no matter if it's today or in five years or 10 years, God has a plan for my life. And it's better than what you're seeing right now. For me, that gives me great comfort to say this, that even when I don't see his plan, I can trust his plan. He's a good God. He has good plans for you. And even when you don't see it, and I promise you there's going to be moments where you're going to question it and you don't see it, you can trust his plan. That's why Isaiah said that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His plans are higher than our plans. We cannot understand it. Only he is all-knowing. Only he sees the beginning from the end. I'm just encouraging you today to trust his plan. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. It's a famous passage, but I want to read it to you out of the message, which is a paraphrase translation. It's not a word for word. It's a paraphrase of what it means, but I thought it held true to the heart. It says in verse 5, trust God from the bottom of your heart. Don't try to figure out everything on your own. Some of you just need to underline that right there. Listen for God's voice in everything you do. Everywhere you go, he's the one who will keep you on track. Trust God. You don't have to figure everything out. Remember, he's all-knowing. You can trust him. He is the one that will keep you on track if you submit your life to him and keep trusting his plans. Amen? And then the third one is this, is that God always brings me through. You can be assured that whatever you're in right now, God will always bring you through it. You can look in scripture that God had the habit of going in and carrying people through difficult situations, carrying them through the pain and the suffering that they were in. I mean, the children of Israel are a great example of this, that he, he continued to carry them in difficult moments. But in the New Testament, Paul was another, remember, I mentioned you earlier, Paul went through so many crazy things, but he had a right perspective on life. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, he says this in verse 18. He says, look, I know that the Lord will deliver me from every evil attack and he will bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. What was Paul saying? I know that I'm under attack right now and I know that the Lord will deliver me from this attack and I know that he's going to deliver me into his heavenly kingdom. In other words, I know he's bringing me through in this life, but I also know he's bringing me through to the next life. I know that he's going to deliver me here. I'm going to be free from this pain in this life, or I'm going to be free from my pain in that life. He will deliver me safely into his heavenly kingdom. It was Paul who would also say, look, I'm being persecuted right now. I'm in prison. They're telling me that they're going to kill me and you know what, honestly, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't know which one I want to choose. I mean, how can you, how can you hurt a person who doesn't care whether they live or die? They were saying, if I, he said, if I live, I'm going to share Jesus. If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. It's a win-win, 
right? It's a win-win. And what you need to know today is you can be assured that God is going to bring you through. It's a win-win for the follower of Jesus, whether in this life or the next, that there is a purpose and an end to the pain that you are going through. I'm reminded in Psalm 30, verse 5, this, this reminds me of David when he said that I know that weeping endures for a night. I know that sorrow may last for the night, but joy comes in the morning. The statement of it is finished is saying, yeah, I know I might be suffering right now, but I know it is finished, which means that joy is coming in the future, that I have a better hope of tomorrow in the future with Jesus. And you can be assured of that same thing today. And when you read the statement that Jesus made, I want, you to, I want to point out something he said that I think is important for us to get today. He didn't say, I am finished. He said, it is finished. He wasn't finished, but what he came to accomplish was finished. It was a statement of finality. It was a statement of accomplishment. It was a statement of victory. And what that means for you and I today is it means that our sin was paid for before we were even born. It means that the pain that that we're going through was already taken care of on the cross. It means that you may be suffering at the moment, but joy comes in the morning because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. You are not done, but it is done. When you're tempted to give up, no, I am not finished, but it is finished. Not because of what we've done, but because of what he's done. That your pain was taken care of. That your sin was taken care of. So on your worst days, on your most difficult moments, when, you, when you're tempted to give up, you need to remember, I'm not done. There's more. There's more. I was reminded of Lamentations chapter 3. Jeremiah wrote Lamentations, and it's another hard book to read because he's constantly lamenting the pain that he's going through. And Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet, but in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, he says this powerful statement. He says, I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. I, I, I'm in pain, and I'm never going to forget it. I, I'm going through a difficult situation, and I'm never going to forget it. I'm grieving loss, and what I do know to be true today is there are a lot of people who are grieving loss. There's a lot of people in our church grieving loss, the loss of loved ones, the, the loss of a home, a family in our church. Their house burned down two nights ago. They lost everything. There's a lot of people who are going through loss and suffering, and they may never forget this awful time, but look at what he says next. Yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this, that the faithful love of the Lord never ends, that his mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh every morning. When you're going through loss, when you're going through suffering, you may think, I'm never going to forget this, but I dare you to hope. I dare you to hope that the faithful love of the Lord never ceases. When you remember his goodness and his faithfulness, when you remember what Jesus did on the cross for you, which is what we're celebrating right now, you can have hope that though you may not forget the pain, he is going to bring you through. You can be assured today that the struggles will end and the pain will end and there is a purpose in it. Amen. Amen. Can we take a minute and just go to the Lord in prayer? what I wanted to do in our time here in prayer is if you would just bow your head with me and just take a minute. If, you, if you're thankful for the goodness of God, if you're thankful for the faithfulness of God, would you just take a minute and thank him? You just personally say, God, thank you for your goodness. Lord, when we're going through difficult seasons, we know that you are a good God. And we can thank you today that you are all knowing. You are all powerful, God. You are holding us in the palm of your hand. You are holding the world together with the power of your word. But not only are you all powerful and all knowing, God, you're close. 
and that you come close to us in the middle of our struggle and our pain, God. And you carry us through and we can trust you today. We just thank you that you are a good, faithful God. And today, maybe you're here with every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here today and you, and you don't have the assurance that things are going to get better. That you don't have the assurance that, that there's a purpose and an end to what you're going through. You don't have an assurance that if you died today, you'd be with Jesus. But you can have that assurance today. The Bible says you can be assured of that. And so I just wanted to take a minute. I'd, I'd be remiss not to give you this opportunity to put your faith and your trust in Jesus, to surrender your life to him, to say, God, I'm, I'm tired of doing things my way. I don't, I don't have that assurance. I wanna know that I know, God, that I am yours. You can do that today by putting your hope in Jesus Christ. And I wanna give you that opportunity by leading you in an opportunity to pray. And I would just tell you, it's not this prayer that saves you, but it's what you believe in your heart. And the Bible says, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that he is the Lord of your life, then you will be saved. And so I'm gonna ask all of us to pray this with those who are making this decision, maybe for the first time to help encourage them. So let's pray this together. And if you're making this declaration to Jesus, make, make it with faith in your heart. Just say, Jesus, I come to you. I put my faith in you. I put my trust in you. Forgive me for doing my own thing. I choose to follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate with those that made that decision for Jesus? Thanks for joining us today. I pray this message encouraged you, inspired you, and maybe even challenged you a little bit. If you made a decision for Jesus, we are celebrating with you. Welcome to the family of God. We would love to know about it. So message us online or you can text yes card to 903-200-3808 and let us know what decision you made. We wanna come alongside you, help you find a local church. It's very important to be connected to the local body of Christ, whether with us or somewhere else. So let us know so we can help you and let you know your next steps with Jesus. I'd love to see you real soon in person, but until then, know that I'm praying for you. I'm praying God's best in your life. God bless you.